The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just stick a hand up nice and high, wave it around as if you had no concerns, and uh, someone will make sure that you get one. If you don't own a Bible, that's a gift to you, and we pray that the Lord would just be able to use his word to teach you more and more about his grace, his goodness, his will for your life, the coming kingdom, all sorts of things. A couple of announcements. First of all, uh, membership applications, those of you uh, who submitted paperwork, which was some Something around 73% of the people in our church did that, so we're really excited about that. You probably by now should have gotten back your acceptance letter. If you didn't get it, we apologize, but... No, just kidding. Um, if you didn't get that, you might want to call the church office and, uh, and check in with them, um, because maybe it got lost in the mail or we had a bad address or something like that. Um, also, Veterans Meal Outreach, today, outreach today's the last day to sign up or donate towards that project. There's a table available in the hallway on your way out. Make sure you check in with those guys. Um, and then finally, um, the uh, my, you guys know we have our, our what we call our Heritage Milestone Program here at the church. It's a uh, um, really part of our children's and family ministry, but it's really aimed more towards the parents in training parents up um, to lead their children in godliness and. So just recently, we did um, uh, Milestones 3 and 4. The Milestones 3 is with our children's ministry program with Pastor Brent, where a group of families got together, and, um, and they, they basically went through or were kind of trained in what's referred to as a Passport to Purity program. Um, the idea being that the parents then are going to take their child away for like a weekend getaway or something like that really special, and, and they take opportunity to talk to, teach, and train their child child in um, what sex is and isn't, um, about the, the understanding, you know, the kind of the birds of the bees talk, but, but with regards to their identity in Christ. Um, as you guys know, we've talked about this before. Children nowadays are, um, are almost 100% of kids have been introduced to some form or, of pornography before the age of 11 now, and every year that age number goes lower and lower. And so uh, what we're trying to do is equip parents to teach their kids about what uh, human sexuality looks like and to encourage purity. Uh, and then milestone number four kind of takes that another step layer, later. That, that's with Pastor Mitch and the junior high. And, and, and this is about just life in general, about how to come alongside your child and just say, hey, not just in this area, but in every area as you now are growing and getting out into the world, um, there's going to be temptation coming at you from every possible direction, every possible form. And what does it look like to live an entire life, a whole holistic life of purity in light of the world that we live in. And so we had several families go through those two programs recently. And so um, just really quickly, I want to pray for you guys. So if any of you are here and and you went through that program, you were here with the pastors to be trained, could you just stand up for us really, really quickly so we could just pray with you? One. Two, there we go. Two, three, there's a couple more. Uh, Mother's Day, Kids Wing, I don't know what that is. But anyway, so um, we had like, what, about a couple dozen or something like that that went through it. The rest are shy. But um, what we want to do is this is part of our whole church identity. And so um, you parents that are in here, sorry to put you guys on the spot for this, but we as a church want to celebrate these things as they go um, and to be able to pray with you guys for that. And what better day than Mother's Day to be praying about our our kids and our families moving forward. So Heritage Family, will you join me really quickly as we pray 
if you're around them, you can throw a, an arm around them or a hand on the shoulder and, and let's just pray for these guys and their families. God, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the, the family that you've given us here in our church. And we thank you, Lord, for the individual families that make that up. And Lord, we, we just as a church family want to come alongside the families who went through uh, this particular program here just recently, Lord, who, who seek to raise their children, your children, Lord, in a way that honors you. And I just want to thank you, Lord, for their commitment to that. And now I just want to pray, God, your blessing upon them, that your spirit would be upon these families, that they might encourage and nurture and grow and raise these children in definitely a hostile environment to godliness, but, Lord, in, in a way that reflects the purity and holiness that you are. And so, God, we thank you for these and those that aren't with us this morning. I pray, God, that you would just, just bond them to their children Give them, Lord, the words to say. Give them discernment for things that are going on in their children's lives. And I pray, God, that the end result of these things, Lord, is that every one of these children is walking closely with you, calling you both Savior, Lord, and friend, adopted into your family, God. So, Lord, may you just bless the time put in, and may it produce fruit, Lord, in the lives of these families and our church overall, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You guys can have a seat. And then uh, it's Mother's Day today. And so uh, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask, first of all, moms, if you are a mother here, whether the child is in the house or not, could you do us a favor and just stand up for us that we can honor you for just a moment? We love you guys, moms. Come on, give it up, guys. God, we thank you so much for these women, Lord. We thank you for their testimony in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for their tireless commitment to their children. We thank you, Lord, that you have used them, Lord, to raise your kids. We thank you for the impact they've made on our lives, both the, the mothers in this room and those that are outside of this room. And I pray, God, that today they might just experience, Lord, some of the gratitude, but also the fulfillment of just serving you in this particular way. Lord, we live in a culture that wants to make less and less about being a mom and, and father, yet this is such a huge, huge role. So God, for these women, may you bless them. May you honor them, Lord, for their desire to honor you. I pray, God, you would exalt them for their work and that they might find, Lord, great reward in heaven for their sacrifice. And God, we also pray, Lord, for those that are in this room, Lord, who, for whom Mother's Day is a hard day whether those who um, aren't married yet but desire a husband or those who have had miscarriages or unable, even those, Lord, who may have aborted or who have lost children or who have lost mothers this year, Lord. And I just pray, God, that they might understand the reality that, Lord, you are sovereign over all things, that you are a good God who restores, who rebuilds, who brings hope. And I pray, God, that they would find great encouragement in your gospel today as well. And so, Lord, for all of us, Lord, as we open up your word, that's our desire, Lord, that we might find your will for us, that we might find, Lord, in your word, both encouragement, hope, correction where needed. God, that you might just minister to your people through the worship we give to you as we bow before your word at this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, moms. You may have a seat. Everybody, if you would, grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians 1, verse 1. 
it is important. I'm always sensitive to the Mother's Day thing because I think some of you guys know our story, how um, it, it was years before we were unable to have children. And, and the church I was going to at the time, every Mother's Day, they would hand out flowers at the door. And as you would come in, they would say, are you a mother? Are you a mother? Are you a mother? And, and that made Mother's Day a really difficult time. And, and I've spoke with many of you who have been through that same thing before. We got a letter even, um, it was actually to one of the other churches in the Acts 29 network that we're a part of, but he shared it with the rest of us where it was a young woman who's unable to have children. She'd had a miscarriage not long ago and, and she was asking the pastor in advance, like what, what's Mother's Day going to look like? I just want to prepare myself before I come because it's a really emotional um, experience for us. And so, so we, we totally stand with you as well if you're in that category. We, we actually don't hand out flowers at the door, not because we don't want to honor moms, but number one, men, that's your job. So if you didn't, uh, Safeway is still open on the way home. Okay, fix that. Um, but, but also, um, that, that's an incredibly hard thing to kind of, as you're coming in the doors of worship, to have to sort of uh, badge yourself in that way. And so we've just sought to, to try to find other ways to honor and pray for moms that doesn't have you making that sort of a declaration at the door. So to those of you that are like, they didn't give us flowers today, that, that is in no way meaning to not honor moms. Um, it's just a sensitivity that we have here at the church. And maybe it's just because I've walked through that in our household as well. Maybe I'm extra sensitive to that, but, but make no mistake. We absolutely, and I personally, um, I, I actually messaged my mom this morning and, and I told her that the truth is, is that you practice what I preach. Um, and, and there would be no Heritage Christian Fellowship if it wasn't for the influence of my mother in my life and, and, and my, own, my own wife. Um, and, and I'm just really blessed that my children have the mother that they have. And so we absolutely honor you guys. G. Campbell Morgan, um, a famous uh, theologian and pastor, he had four sons and they all became pastors. And, and uh, they were interviewing him with his children at one time. And they asked, all right, so out of all of you guys, which one's the best preacher? And the youngest looked at the rest of them, looked back at the guy and said, mom. <laughs> and, and that's the absolute truth. So we're thankful for you guys. Hey, turn to Philippians chapter one. We're going to talk some more about moms and family and Mother's Day today as God would have it as we're going through this text. But uh, we are one week into, this is week two, in our new series here in the book of Philippians where we're looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, you might say about halfway between Athens and Greece and uh, Ephesus and Turkey. It's kind of in the northern part of uh, the Mediterranean Sea in that area right there. Um, and it's kind of a famous place historically. Um, everyone knows the story, Julius Caesar, and how he was assassinated by people that he thought had his back, but they had his back in a totally different way, as it turned out. And uh, remember, it, Brutus and those who were actually the ones who had conspired against him and murdered him. Well, Philippi is the location, according to history, where the famous battle took place, where Mark Antony and his men actually came and overcame those who had killed Julius Caesar. That battle actually took place at Philippi. And, and a city, a colony developed there because there was this massive um, grouping of soldiers that were there and, and Rome didn't know what to do with them. And they didn't want all these battle-hardened soldiers back in the uh, civilized, dignified city of Rome. And they were trying to figure out what to do with them. And so they literally gave them this plot of land um, to be able to build a colony in there. So the city of Philippi is a very Roman city. Very nationalistic, very 
proud, very, I mean, many of the people in the city at this time have their roots actually in the Roman military. It's almost exclusively Gentile, very much so, meaning just not, uh, uh, not Jewish in its influence. It's, it's other than Jewish is what that means. And so the city here, um, exclusively Gentile, and Paul had visited this city somewhere along the lines in his second missionary journey, as we refer to it. You can read about it in the book of Acts, and we, we read about it last week in Acts chapter 16. As Paul made his way through in his second missionary journey, um, the first three converts that we read about in the book of Philippians that ended up making up um, the demographics of this church, or at least the base of it, we had first Lydia, who is a very metropolitan, wealthy, very successful woman in the fashion industry um, who's got a place here and came from another very metropolitan, um, wealthy area as well. She's the first. We find out about her as she was seeking the Lord through the study of the word. Paul comes across her by the river there and, and, and explains the gospel and, and she changes, just converts. Like, I believe. And, and even into her house, she begins welcoming Paul and these guys into her own home home. Then we have this slave girl who was literally possessed by a demonic spirit and and was trying to disrupt and hassle the ministry that was unfolding there in Philippi. But but Paul turns and through this powerful moment of the Holy Spirit, this this demon is evicted and, and, and this woman is set free. But as we saw last week, it caused some problems. And, and any time that the gospel comes to bear in an area and is really taking root, when people are truly all in and believing in the gospel and allowing it to affect every area of their life, things change. And in that area, things were changing. And so it started out with this slave girl. She was actually being held captive, if you will, by some men who, knowing she was possessed by this spirit, were using her to kind of tell fortunes. They were basically pimping her out in this paganism so that they could make money. And suddenly their profits are dried up and and they go to the Roman authorities and they're like, man, these two guys are coming in here and they're wrecking everything in our town. Like they're, they're disrupting the whole town. They're causing all kinds of problems with their new teaching and their philosophy. And we need to get rid of them. And so Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And you guys know the story. Maybe if you don't, you should read it. It's a great one in Acts chapter 16. Even though they're put into prison and tortured and beaten and locked away, they're just worshiping and praising God. And all the other soldiers are there. They're listening. They're hearing what they're talking about. And there's this guard that's there. This, this ex-GI soldier, very duty-driven kind of guy. And, and in the night, this earthquake comes and the gates are all opened up and the prisoners are, are free to go. And when this soldier realizes what's happened, he knows that, that there's big problems if you, lose a sol- if you lose a prisoner, that the punishment then goes on you or you're murdered. And so he draws a sword ready to actually off himself. And Paul's like, no, 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 stop. We're all here. Like, not just Paul and Silas. All the prisoners are still there. And Paul begins to break the gospel down. And and this guy's life has changed. His whole family gets saved. It's this incredible story of how this church gets off the ground. And and last week, we just read through verses 1 through 11 quickly. And the only thing we kind of took note of was the fact that Paul desperately loved this church. Like this is the only letter to a church that Paul writes that contains no criticism or correction. There's none. Nowhere in here is he like, I love you guys, but. Like, come on, man, you, knock it off, guys, please. That exists in all of his other epistles, but not in this one. 
And so in trying to understand what is it about the makeup of this church that they are so esteemed, that they've done so well things that other churches, even referenced in the Bible, struggled so much to do, um, we're trying to look back and understand what that is. And the first thing you see is that these are diverse people from diverse backgrounds with diverse cultures, but they understand the gospel. God has pursued them and they are all in. Like they believe the gospel, and they're not just there to have a little bit of gospel mixed in with the rest of their life, but they want all of it. They realize who God is, and nothing else matters compared to them. And they've learned this from Paul, who in prison can say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, I can, I can have joy in my sufferings. And that's really the overall theme of the book. To Paul, joy is not an emotion. Like to, to us, joy is an emotion. That's what we refer to it as. When you're happy, when you feel excited about things, we say, man, we're very joyful. But to Paul, it's not an emotion, it's an attitude. It's something you do. I will be joyful. I will choose joy in spite of. And so for many of us, we could look at that and go, but that's stupid. That's so cheesy. That's, you don't know my struggles, my struggles are real. And for you to say, just choose to be happy is insulting to me because you don't understand what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. And, and while I absolutely understand that, and I don't think anyone, including Paul, was Superman that lands on joy the moment anything bad ever happens. I think sometimes it takes a couple of days, amen? But Paul understands the reality of the gospel and who Jesus is. And Jesus so far overshadows anything going on in his life, be it good or bad, that he's able to make a choice to have an attitude of joy no matter what's going on because he's looking forward to the reality of who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing in him, what Jesus has forgiven him of, and the reality that he's been adopted into this family that he's Christ's co-heir, the same Christ that he was trying to wipe off the face of the earth? Like, Paul understands this. And so no matter how bad things are, he's preaching the gospel to himself all the time. And he's reminding himself all the time, this is lame. This torture's lame. I don't like this. I'm hurting. I'm painful. Sometimes I don't even want to live anymore, the scriptures say that he said that. But he's able to preach the gospel to himself over and over and say, but Christ has come. Christ died for my sins. Christ has forgiven me. Christ suffered more than I'll ever suffer. Christ took all of my punishment. And as he's able to do that, he finds that he can choose joy in the midst of suffering. That's going to be, you're going to learn that so well by the time we finish Philippians in about two and a half years <laughs> or so. So this is the Philippian church. Now understand something. When Paul's writing these things, and in these first 11 verses, we're going to read through part of it again in here in just a minute. But when Paul's doing this stuff, he's writing to a specific culture. Again, this isn't just some random book. Like, it's a letter to real people. And also active in that place, besides just the Roman influence, there was a heavy influence of Stoicism. You guys know what stoicism is? Stoicism, very stone-faced. We just don't let your emotions get out there. Just this, this stoicism, the, the, the influence of the stoics in that time would say, don't get involved in things emotionally. Don't put yourself out there with regards to your emotions and your feelings. Stay cool, stay back. You won't get hurt. It's a safer way to live. We don't put ourselves out there. We don't get fired up. We can't even trust our emotions. Stay out of it. And then Paul's writing to these people things like, I yearn for you. 
Like every time I pray, I'm just constantly thanking God for you. Like he totally puts his heart out on his sleeve for these people. And so to that influence, he's writing to these people and just gushing over them. He does not correct them. There's nothing in this letter, at least, that would lead us to believe there were any problems he felt he needed to address. This is like the model church. So why? Okay, we understand their roots, diversity, these people who had sold out for the gospel. We understand all that. But what is it about them that could make somebody like Paul, who was only there a couple of days, he was only in that area for a few days. I mean, my goodness, we, we don't let our guard down sometimes for years, right? And, he, and here's Paul. He's just there for a few days. And he's like, I yearn for you. I love you. We're partnered together. We're in this together. There's this bond there that is rare and good. And even when we don't actually admit that we want it, we want it. Because the stoicism that's out there, that's, it's kind of there to, today. It looks a little different. Today, it's more like independent. Just be independent. Men don't show emotion. Men don't raise their hands in church when they sing. They do in this church, but that's what we say. Men don't say, I love you. Men don't cry. Men don't, uh, on and on and on. And, and overall, like, we don't share our emotions. We don't show weakness. We don't, any of that stuff. Like, as if having community could somehow be considered an actual weakness, it's a strength, but that's a sermon for another day. So what is it about these people? How can Paul do this? Well, let's read it. It says in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. In other words, what he's saying, every time Philippi crosses my mind, nothing comes to mind but thankfulness. Like I don't think of Philippi and go, I love that place except. Like all he remembers when he thinks about these people is, I, I thank God for them. I thank God for these people. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The first reason, we're going to see two reasons why they were so close. The first reason is this, their family. It's appropriate that we're on this at, on Mother's Day. Not a stretch at all to do this. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but pastors historically and in our culture are very often guilty of saying, how can I make this verse match what it is I want to actually talk about that day? And, but that is not the case here. There's genuine family that's taking place right here. Take a look in verse 6. It says this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, that doesn't sound like a family verse. It's actually a really debated verse. Did you know that? There's a debate amongst theologians about our salvation. And that debate is, once you've been saved, once you become a Christian, can you then lose your salvation as a Christian? 
And there are people who debate this. There's those that would say, no, in our sin, we can turn away from God and and reject. Even though we've already been saved, we can walk away from his grace. And the others who I think are right actually would say instead, they would say, no, what do you mean? This, our salvation is in God's hands. The Bible says that no one can take us from God's grasp. And there's this debate over that. And for those who would believe or or those who teach that we cannot lose our salvation, man, this is a, a key, like big time verse in that belief system because they're saying, look, the Lord who began that work in you, he will complete it, not you. And that's kind of the emphasis that takes place in that. Um, I personally think it's right, but we do not divide over such things. And basically the best thing to do is just be saved, right? Just follow Jesus till the end. That makes everything easier. We can all agree on that. Amen? Amen. But I, but I think there's something else Paul's saying here. I think there's something else we can glean from this besides just some debate that didn't even exist at the time that Paul wrote this. This verse is actually a description of what it looks like to be a Christian. Because it says, look at it closely. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, so what does it mean? What does it look like when we get saved? We know that God is the initiator of salvation, that there's none who seek him, Romans 3 says, and that when God saves us, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we embark on this, this thing called sanctification where God is changing us and molding us into the image of who? Christ. And the scriptures say that on that day when we see him, we will be like him. So he's not here yet, which means no one here is perfect, perfectly reflecting the image of Christ. But God's working in us, and God's changing us, and he's growing us. And we pray that by God's grace, we're way farther along on that progress towards sanctification than we were when we began. But we're not there yet, but that's the overall picture. God does a work in your life, and he begins changing you. And on the day that Christ returns, we are like him. We are saved. Now think about what Paul says here. Because different people come to Jesus for different reasons. You know that, right? Like different people come to Jesus for different reasons. Some people come to Jesus because they're, they're hoping for peace. Some people come to Jesus because they want wealth or prosperity or, or comfort. They, they feel like there's something missing in their life and they've heard that maybe that thing can be found, that Jesus will provide that for them if they come to church or if they... they call themselves or become a Christian. And so a lot of people come to Jesus for a lot of different ways or a lot of different reasons, I should say. But, but think about this. In Jesus's day, he was aware of this, was he not? Like as Jesus was walking the earth, he would go and he would do these big teachings. He would heal the sick. He did all these miracles, feeding 5,000 and people started coming. It says the crowds grew and grew and grew. In fact, there's one place where the scriptures say that, that all these people were wanting to follow Jesus, but that he wouldn't commit himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of a man. He knew they're not after me. They're after what I can provide, which is what's called idolatry. They don't want Christ. They want peace. They don't want Christ, they want prosperity. They don't want Christ, they want heaven. But they don't want Christ. And so it's kind of like we talked about last week. It's like I want a little bit of gospel to go along with all of these other things in my life because I feel like something's missing and I think he can make my portfolio complete. And Christ knew this. And so one of the things that you can see as you're reading through the gospels and watching Jesus's ministry is that he did something really, really different than most any church you've ever been to would ever consider doing. He started preaching to make people go away. 
He did that. Now, our, our, day, our day and age, people will have, they'll have conferences, they'll have books, all kinds of things to say, hey, pastor, here's how you get more people in your church. And there's whole movements that have developed that are referred to as things like the seeker-sensitive movement, like how to, how to get people in without offending them so that they don't go away. That's not what Christ did. Once the crowds start building and you watch how Jesus interacts with people, he started saying some really hard, difficult things. He started saying things, either teaching in parables so they wouldn't necessarily understand what he was talking about, or saying really hard things that both culturally offended people and even sometimes just saying, follow me, fine, it's going to hurt though. It's going to be hard though. And suddenly starts saying all these hard things. And you can see crowds beginning to dissipate as he begins to do this. We see this, for example, in Matthew chapter 7. He knows this and he says, Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, but I will say what? Depart from me for I never knew you. He's like, I, I, I know you're calling me Lord. I know you think you have a relationship with me, but, but I was never Lord in your life. I didn't know you. Religion was just some program that you added to your life so that you could, could do this or so you could succeed here or just so you could have some peace of mind and feel self-righteous or whatever it is. But you didn't understand the gospel. You didn't repent of your sin. You didn't understand the reality of, of your own brokenness and sin. It was just another piece of the puzzle you added to your life. And I, I never knew you. And, and, and then he goes on. In Matthew chapter 10, he starts telling him, hey, persecution's coming if you're following me. Like, life's gonna get hard. And not just like difficult, like, oh, someone cut in front of me in line at the grocery store, but like persecution, like actual pain and affliction is gonna come if you keep following me. That's in Matthew 10. And then he says this, think about this on Mother's Day. He says in the book of Matthew chapter 10, 34, do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set man against father, daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This is a great Mother's Day message so far, right? You feeling it? You feeling it? Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, hey, if, if you're following me because you're trying to build your life up, you need to understand that to find life following me means losing your life. And the gospel itself is an offensive doctrine to the human sinful nature. And so people are going to get saved and stop relationships with you. Like you, there are people, we know people who have gotten saved and their family were offended over those things. There have been relationships that break up over these things. It's going to be challenging. It's not just like, we don't just put white robes on and grab harps and float around in the sky. It gets hard. And he's like, you should know this coming in. You're following me for peace in your life. Following me won't bring you peace in this life. It's going to bring difficulty in this life, he says. Then he goes on to say, by the way, trees are known for their fruit. Like you're following me. Okay, fine, but we'll see. And a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And we should burn down the bad trees. Like he starts seeing some hard stuff. Not, not church growth oriented right? 
Not how can we get a thousand more people to our sanctuary. I know. Tell them they have to hate their parents if they want to come here. Tell them their parents hate them. Tell them that if they're not good, we'll chop the tree down. Like speak in parables so no one understands what I'm teaching. That should fix everything. It's like the exact opposite. And then in the book of Matthew, he says this. We have the text for this in Matthew 13. He's teaching this big crowd of people that have assembled by the sea. It says in Matthew chapter 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, meaning he's telling a story that has a meaning, but it doesn't sound initially like some spiritual thing. It's, he's using elements of the world that are around him. And so for some people who are truly seeking to understand the kingdom, they're going to get these things. But it's also taught in such a way that those who are not looking for the kingdom of God aren't going to get these things. And so here's what he says. He taught them in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. Now, this isn't sowing needles. This is sowing seed, right? And as he sowed, some of the seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Can now imagine? Put yourself in that place. Let's put on our sandals. You just came to Heritage. Jeff came up to teach. Glad you're all here today. I have a story for you. I was planting my garden. Some of it grew. Some of it didn't. Let's pray. Like that's it. That's what he taught him. There was a guy who threw some seed. He threw seed over here, it didn't work. Threw seed over here, didn't work. Threw seed over here, didn't work. Threw seed over here, it worked. Some produce more fruit than others. If you have ears to hear, understand what I just said. Amen, you may go. That's what he did. And, and when he says it at the end, he says, if you have ears to hear, get this. That means understand this, know this, this is important. Well, people were confused. They're like, what, what was, that's the weirdest teaching we've ever heard Jesus give. I thought he's like lecturing at Oregon State's agricultural department or something. I don't understand what that was all about. And so the disciples come, they're like, what was that all about? And he, he begins to talk with them about why he's teaching in parables. And he gives this explanation of what it was he was teaching. And so if you take a look, it begins in verse 18 of Matthew 13. We have the text here. Verse 18, he says, here, again, pay close attention to this. Understand this. He says, here, then, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So he says, remember, guys, in the story when I told you about the seed that went on the hard ground? That's the person that doesn't understand. And what he, what he means even literally here, it's not just like they don't get it. It's like they're not even listening. Like it doesn't even get in. The, the ground is packed down hard so that seed can't penetrate the earth. And he's saying, so for the person who hears the gospel, who hears my teaching, and they just don't, as he would say, have ears to hear it. They don't get it. They don't want to get it. They don't like it. They're, whatever the reason is, they're hard-hearted. And so this seed is taken away. It doesn't sink in. It doesn't produce any fruit. And then verse 20, 
And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls it away. It, it falls away. So this is the guy who's test driving, you might say, Christianity. I'll try this on for a while. Life's pretty hard. I heard that Jesus can fix some stuff. I hear that Jesus is powerful. I heard that, that he can make fish and things out of little bits of fish. And uh, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling in this area of my life. So you know what? I think I'll try this on for a while like it's some sort of lifestyle. Like it's some sort of um, uh, philosophy that you can then live. But because no roots actually sink in, because it's really no more than like a fad or the most recent self-help book you just read, you go, well, things are still hard. Like, I, I thought Jesus was going to fix some stuff. I don't feel like he fixed anything, and it just got difficult. So, uh, I don't know. I tried Christianity. It just didn't work for me, and they move on to the next thing. For, the, for those people, it was never about him. It was always about comfort. It was always, that's the one who's like, I'm chasing my life. I'm not chasing a gospel. I'm not chasing the God who gave his life for me. It's about them. And then when things are still uncomfortable, when it doesn't feel like God fixed all the problems in their life, moving on to the other thing. So then Jesus goes on, verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the person, they hear it, sounds good, but man, there's just so many other things. There's so many important things in my life, man. I, there's so many things that are fighting for my time and they're just choking out any of the opportunity for this, whether it's the business because I've got to chase success or whether it's my children or whether it's my family, whatever it is, there's all these important things. And man, I would go to church if it wasn't for soccer games every Sunday or I would give to the church if it wasn't for the fact that we're saving up for this vacation or whatever the case may be. And all these other things that are going on in life just choked it out. It didn't receive priority. The preeminence of Christ never sank in. And so they tried to fit it in maybe around other things, but not really understanding the reality of the gospel. And over time, it just choked, choked out. It was a season of life, but you're on to something else now. And then he says in verse 23, and for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And this is the person who is saved. This is the person who the gospel of Jesus Christ has opened their heart and mind. The Holy Spirit has indwelled them. The person who has understood their sinfulness before God and the purity of God. The fact that Christ died for their sins on the cross, rose again from the dead to triumph over sin and death and has offered them salvation. The one who has accepted that offer of salvation, who has now been adopted into the kingdom of God. Not just some generic convert who raised his hand and prayed a prayer or signed a card at a crusade but the person who has experienced the gospel in their heart and God has changed them. They've been reborn, they're born again, whatever you want to call it, these people are saved. And he says, these people, where the seed got deep, they grew, they produced fruit, some more than others, but they, they produced fruit and these are those who are saved. 
Now think about this. This comes, interestingly enough, right on the heels. Like the, the, he gives this teaching right after saying this, Matthew 12. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, let me try to put all this together for you before I've depressed you too much on a Mother's Day message. We're going somewhere with this. We're going to end happy, I promise you, moms. This is what he's saying. The, the person who heard the gospel and were saved, those are the people we have now been born into a new family. He says, those are my brothers and sisters. Totally loves his mother. Does Jesus love his mother? Have you read the story at the cross? He honors her. So he is in no way rejecting the importance of an earthly relationship at all, right? But he is using earthly relationships to show the reality of something that's much, much bigger than the relationships we have within our families here on earth. Family is important, amen? Relationship between parent and child is important, amen? All of it, like really important, amen? But it is not ultimate. It is not ultimate. It exists to point us to something much bigger, much bigger than our relationship with our mother or our relationship with our father or our son or our brother, sister, cousin, whatever the case may be. And Paul's writing to this church and he refers to them actually in verse 12, you'll see. I want you to know brothers, which literally translates, lest you think he's being sexist, literally translates brothers and sisters. And so why is Paul so close to these people? Because Paul understands something we take way too for granted and don't emphasize enough. We even talked about it in our shepherding elders meeting last night. There is something real and metaphysical that happens in the moment that a believer comes to Christ that you are now part of a brand new family. And it's real. Like the relationship that one Christian has with another Christian because of the blood of Christ is much more significant than the relationship we have with one another because of our blood through our own birth relationships. It's bigger than that. It's more important than that. In fact, those relationships all exist to point us towards our relationship with our Father in heaven. And so Paul can gush over these people that he only spent a couple of days with because he realized, like, look, I'm, I'm tight with my mom, but that's my real, real family right there. And we pray that our own mom is part of that family, amen? But we are family in this room, those who are, who are seed number four. If the gospel has penetrated your heart, if you have been saved, you are part of a family that is more significant than your own birth family, as incredibly significant as that is. Man, this is a good day to remember that. Because while we want to honor mothers and we want to honor Mother's Day and we want to honor that relationship, we should also realize that that doesn't end in worship. We honor moms and we worship the true family that we have, the understanding that God has adopted us into the family. Like our, our relationships with our moms should point us through to Christ, not end with mom. Like, 
My mom's a great mom. My mom loves me desperately, but I know, I know from the scriptures and I know from personal experience that my mom's love for me isn't something she just made up on her own. God has graced her and blessed her and poured into her and kept her faithful through difficult, difficult situations. And, and she's messed up and repented and loved and asked forgiveness and forgiven. And that stuff doesn't come out of her own sinful nature. That stuff comes because she has been saved. And my mom has the spirit of God living in her. And it is him who has kept her faithful. It is him who has preserved her. It is him who has empowered her to love and care for me when I was a jerk punk kid. Her Mother's Day card is still sitting on my desk today. And yet my mom would text me this morning and say that just a simple text message filled her with tears because she loves me. Where does that come from? That comes from God. And so here this Mother's Day, honor your mom, worship your father in heaven. So Paul can can gush with these guys because he understands that he's family. We are family. Family. You know how they say blood is thicker than water? There is a reality here in the relationship we have. Now, here's the thing, and this gets us to point number two. Like in this room, even us as a local church here, and I'm talking to the Heritage family at this particular point, we call it family. It is family. We long for that kind of family. Few of us experience that kind of family. Like there are people too that come to church here all the time. There's, there's probably someone visiting here right now today that's looking for that kind of relationship in their church. Maybe you're like, I, I, I just didn't have a good family before. My dad abandoned us. I get that. Trust me. I, my mom's not around. Mine lives 3,000 miles away. I get that. Like I understand the desire to have family. I, I'm a people pleaser even by nature who spent his whole life living for the affections of his own dad. So I get it. I understand the desire to be grafted in. And so a lot of people will come to a service like this, especially on Mother's Day, and maybe even because just mom made you, let's just be honest. That should have made the list. Why do people come to hear Jesus preach? Well, some because they wanted fish, some want miracles, some want him, and some got drugged there by the ears by mom. Praise God for you, mothers. Just out of curiosity, how many of you got drugged to church by mom and now you're saved? Raise your hand. Praise God for your mothers, amen? So maybe you're here today and you're like, ah, I'm here because it's National Leverage Sunday. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. What can I get you for Mother's Day, Mom? I just want my kids all together in church. <laughs> and you're like, dang. You sure you don't want flowers or brunch? But, but may, some people come here and they're looking for that kind of family and they go to churches all over the world and all over the U.S. looking for that kind of family and they don't always experience it. Why? Well, we could break down the fact that we're all sinful. We could talk about uh, cultural challenges. We could talk about all sorts of those things. But, but I think I know the number one reason why we don't experience it. I think we don't understand it. And here's what, I'm, here's what I mean. This is the second reason. Why could Paul gush like crazy over these people that he only spent a couple days with? Because Paul understands what fellowship really means. Like to us, fellowship is what? It's like hanging out. They're being nice to me. I'm being nice to them. We shared a meal. We hung out. We talked. We'll have dinner maybe. Fellowship. We, we communicate. We interact. That's what fellowship is, right? 
not the kind of fellowship that's being spoken about here. If you go to England, for example, and you ask about fellowship, you hear something way different than just mere camaraderie or friendship. Fellowship in England is different. Have you ever thought about like the university system in England? You'll hear the professors and the leaders of universities in Europe, they're referred to as what? Fellows. And in the universities there, though you may have one big university, the smaller colleges tend to be self-run. And so you might have the, the, the doctor, you know, med school or whatever the case may be, law school, all of that. And then the professors that lead those schools are referred to as fellows. Now they might gather together during the year and debate philosophy or law or new research or talk about different things, have a cup of coffee, maybe even talk about the ball game. But that's not why they're called fellows. The reason they're called fellows, the reason they're in a fellowship is because they do come together regularly about the mission of that school to determine what do we need to do to accomplish what this school has existed or is created to do? What do we need to change? How do we get where it is we want to go? And that meeting is referred to as the fellowship there. Now you don't have to know the European college system to know that because all of you saw Lord of the Rings. And the first one's called what? The Fellowship of the Ring. So what do we have in this movie, right? We have nine people in the core group. I, I nerded out on this last night and looked it all up, so I know I'm right. We have four hobbits, big feet, hairy toes. We have two, two humans ready for battle at all times. We have an elf, we have a dwarf, and we have... But Gandalf, when we have Gandalf too, right? So, so we have nine people that are very different, different roles, and you don't even have to read the books. I didn't read the books, so don't come and correct me later, please. I'm fine with the movies. Books are too long. But, <laughs> but you don't have to watch too much of the movie to realize some of them aren't even supposed to like each other. And what develops out of that? Incredible close relationship. Why? Well, because they hung out and spent time together. No. You ever heard the phrase, maybe from military experiences, brotherhood is born in the trenches. You want brotherhood? You find a cause and get shoulder to shoulder with someone and plow some hard road towards that. There's where you'll find brotherhood. If you just sit around like waiting for people to be nice to you, I gotta be honest with you, we are all sinful fallen people. There's not a whole lot about you worth being nice to. They'll find a reason not to be nice to you eventually. Married people know this. I'm committed to you. I love you. I just don't like you today. <laughs> this, this happens. The, the fellowship discussed here, Paul brings it forth in verse 3. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's not commending their potlucks. He's not commending their worship services. He's not commending the fact that they went and watched games together or had meals together. He's commending the fact that they understand the mission of the gospel. They've partnered together with him, they've locked arms and they've said, we're going to go do this because this is what God has called us to do. And that brought incredible closeness and community and unity. Brotherhood is found in the trenches. It's not just a mere sharing of good times. It's serving. It's, it's moving forward with one another. It's saying there's something at stake bigger than just me. That, that this relationship we have with one another is not important because I'm important. That this relationship exists because he's important and it's much bigger than me. 
And so even in that, we can like bump into each other and it doesn't matter because we're bound by a cause bigger than my ego. Or we can, we can rub against each other and have different ideas, but in the end, we're committed to the cause, so it'll bring us to the table. And I don't have to go, man, I, no one's making me feel good because my eyes aren't on me, my eyes are on him. And so Paul's not commending any of these things. Paul is saying, you guys are close and we are close because we have been partners from the beginning. These people, he only been there for a few days, but he, they poured out to him. We're going to find later that they sent money to him. Prisoners in that day, if they didn't have money from the outside coming in, the Romans oftentimes wouldn't even feed him. They didn't spend money on the prisoners. And so he was supported and cared for by this church when they barely even knew him. There was unity. They accepted his friends. They partnered with him. He's going to talk about fellowship of suffering, that they're going to be willing to go through the same difficulties he does because they are united by a cause, and that's the gospel. That's what fellowship means. So to come to church and say, I'm just looking for the place where they make me feel good or make me feel accepted and make me feel warm, man, I hope that's the case when you come to Heritage. I genuinely desire that. I pray for that. Like we try to teach towards that and all that, but that alone won't keep you here. If you want to experience family, then man, you lock arms with us as we understand the call of the gospel and try to take this gospel, not just to bear in our own lives, but in the lives outside. You know this from your own families. That's why we say things like, man, the family came together when so-and-so got cancer. The family came together when this challenge came. Why? Because there was an issue that came and we rallied around it and it brought a closeness together that wasn't there before. That's what fellowship, Christian fellowship must be gospel-centric. Anything else is just, I want Jesus in my life and I want God's people in my life because I feel lonely. That's selfish and idolatrous, as true as it may be. We want to link arms with one another based on the reality that Christ died for us. Because the truth is, if you understand the gospel, you're fine with loneliness if you have to be, as long as you have Jesus. And so we want family birthed out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we desire. And so within that family, anytime we start to develop friction, I guarantee you, you analyze things in your own life. When you start experiencing friction in different things, look and see if your eyes haven't drifted off what the actual goal is supposed to be in the first place. Look and see if you've taken your eyes off Christ and you're looking at yourself for a little while instead. And now you're uncomfortable or offended but no, Paul's like, man, you guys have partnered with me. You have been there for me. You are a family to me. I know that you're saved. I've seen the work God did in the beginning and I see how he's bringing it to completion and you have partnered for me in the gospel. And man, because of that, I'm so thankful for you. I can't imagine living without you. I yearn for you. I pray for you all the time, not just once a year. I am thankful for you people because we are part of something much, much bigger. We are family on mission for Jesus Christ in a really difficult world, but with an amazing prize waiting on the other end. And because of that, there is joy in these things. So with that being said, let me address just a couple of different groups and we're gonna be all done here. Heritage family, I am so thankful for you. Like, I, you make me better. And I mean that literally, like, like you guys are so amazing as a church body that I know, like I can't, I have to study. I can't just wing it because somebody's gonna slap that down as soon as I throw some peanut butter jelly out here. You're like, nope, steak please. 
Like I know that. And so it drives me into the word and makes me want to grow and makes me want to learn. I understand the expectations you have. So it makes me want to grow with family. It makes me want to grow in my relationships with, with one another. It makes me really aware of my own weaknesses and folly because I'm around so many of you that are so godly. And so, I mean, the Lord has just done such great things through you. And so you make me, I'm just, and I can only talk for me today. Like you make me better and I'm so, so so thankful for you, but we have work to do. We have work to do. And so, and so for, for those that are on the outskirts of this fellowship, let me urge you, dive in, lock arms, join the family, take up the cause, and let's go. And let's experience brotherhood in the trenches, not some cheesy, emotional, meaningless one out on the surfaces that only exists as long as we're actually friendly to one another. But as soon as one of us offends one another, we'll never see each other again. I'm so tired of that. And we see it all the time, don't we? All of us? Everyone say yes. yes. There we go. <laughs> so jump in with us. Not because I'm great, not because this church is great, but because God is great. And watch and see if we don't develop some relationship along the way. Don't wait to develop a bond with a person and then jump in. You'll miss the train. Jump in. I don't know how. Call us. We'll help you. We'll figure it out. But jump in. To those who are maybe only here because God drug you here, let me talk to you on National Leverage Sunday. Please know the gospel of uh, uh, the, the parable of the sower. Please understand the danger you're in if you're a twice a year or three times a year Christian. If, if you don't have a desire to, to come alongside God's people other than on Mother's Day, on Christmas, and on Easter, please just know. This isn't me beating you up or any of that, I assure you. I don't care where it is that you're fellowshipping as long as they're teaching you the Bible. But I just want you to understand you are in a very precarious situation. And the Bible is clear over and over and over. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What do you mean with fear? Because hell is going to be horrible. Don't go there. God's made a way. Don't go there. And throughout the scriptures, the picture of the person who has genuinely been affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they grow and produce fruit. And we are told to analyze the fruit in our own lives and make sure we're not headed towards the discard rotten apple pile. So I'm pleading with you for your own sake. Don't go there. Follow Jesus. There'll be some men available in the back and around the side as we're worshiping here in just a little while. Go to one. Pray with them. Help let them talk with you and work through some of those things. But look, it's a big deal. Amen? We got some more. How about moms? It is right that we honor moms and that we honor women in general on Mother's Day. I don't think it's an accident that this particular church, first two people you find about both women. So moms, we are so thankful. For those that would join in with me, we are so thankful for your Jesus example. For the times that you eat cold meals because the baby wanted to eat right as the restaurant brought your food. Happens every time that way, doesn't it, ladies? We are thankful for the times that you get up in the middle of the night and even let your husband sleep because he had to be at work the next day as if you didn't. 
We are thankful for the sacrifices that you pour into your children, for the, the discipline. We're, we're thankful even how God has worked through your mistakes, but has protected those relationships. But let me, let me urge you, as much as we honor you, worship God. Don't make motherhood your identity. You are more than a mom. You're a daughter of the King of Kings. So don't make motherhood your identity. Love it. It is a blessing. Enjoy it. Don't be known by it. Have you lost children? Maybe you've lost children. Maybe, you, maybe you've had miscarriages. Maybe a child died, God forbid. Have you lost children? Then let me tell you, we mourn with you and we grieve with you, but we trust in a loving father who is all about resurrection and reconciliation and who has a plan even when it looks like failure. The disciples all thought it was game over when Jesus went to the cross and that's where he brought life from. He brings life from death. So we grieve and we understand the pain. Believe me. And I urge you, don't look to your identity in the same way. Don't decrease your value or identity because you're looking for something that you've lost. Trust a good, loving father who loves you. How about empty nesters? If you're here, good job, great job, or God forgives. However that all worked out for you. But listen, empty nesters, we need you. We need you. There is a, you don't have to look very far even in the newspaper right now to understand there is a leadership vacuum in our culture, right? But it starts on the home level. So man, just find a young gal. Find a young gal, pull her aside and say, wanna get coffee and talk. Talk about your failures and talk about your victories. But they need you. That's your sister your younger sister who's trying to figure life out on her own, and maybe you had to do that, and you understand how hard that was, then let me encourage you, find them. Don't wait for them to find you. And I can't believe I'm about to say this because I thought it was like the boldest thing I'd ever heard at a conference this week, but if you're on that line where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm the older woman or the younger woman, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure if I should be looking to disciple someone or looking to be discipled. I love you, you're probably the older woman. And, and, and I, I say that with all the grace of my heart, but, but <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. But um, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23-year-old girls in this church would love to have someone like you invite them to coffee and just say, how's life going? So find one. And, but if you feel like you still need discipling, I'll tell you right now, I learn more studying to teach you than I do somebody talking to me. You'll find you'll grow as you disciple. So, so we need you. We have a few more. Are you unable to have children? If that's you, believe me, I get it. We get it. It was years through. I actually think it was a miracle of God before we were able to have children. And I remember what that's like. I remember the hopelessness. I remember how difficult it was. I remember how horrible Mother's Day services were. And I hope that you feel to some degree that we're honoring you as well in the way that we try to handle that because it's so hard. But here's, here's what I know. Your identity is not in being a mom. You are not a lesser woman because you don't have children. You're a daughter of God and he has a plan for your life. And beyond even that, 
we mourn with you and we hope with you because God throughout the Bible has opened wombs. And he did it in my own family. So, so don't sit back feeling like you don't have worth because this thing hasn't happened in your life. Motherhood is not the pinnacle of your existence. Daughterhood in the kingdom of God is. Live that. Amen? A couple more, I'm almost done. Guys, you can come on up. Um, those who are desperately waiting for a husband or a child so that you can have mother, same thing. Don't make marriage your idol. Follow Jesus. You never know. You might find husbandhood in the trenches. Amen? But we're with you as well. Have you aborted or abandoned children? There is grace and peace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, and he is Lord over even death. And so we mourn with you, but we have hope in a good father who loves you. Not me. You don't know what I did. No, even you. Even you. And then finally this. Dads, husbands, sons, brothers, boyfriends, basically every guy in the room. The women here are not objects. They don't exist for our gratification. They don't exist to serve us. They're daughters of the Most High King. They've been given to us as a gift. Life is way, way better because of them. It is not good for man to be alone. That's how the Bible starts. We are better off having them, but understand where their identity is. It's important for us to understand their identity as well. Honor them. Protect them. Care for them. Love them. Pray for them. Treat them as if one day you're going to have them on your arm standing before God and as if he was to say, and for some of us it's true, how'd you shepherd my daughter? Like we look at that on the front end, right? Dads with shotguns cleaning them before the boy comes. Wasn't it prom night last night? How many of you did that? If you did, I'm so proud of you and I'm glad you're at this church. But every relationship on earth exists to point us towards a much more important relationship. And even that, cleaning the shotgun, should put a certain amount of fear and trembling in the heart of every man, realizing one day you'll stand before her real dad. And he don't need no gun. He could stop speaking to you and you would cease to exist. So honor them. Protect them. Young men in school and stuff, don't let people talk about them the way that they talk about them. Those are God's children. Honor them. Amen? I'm going to have you stand. We're going to close in prayer. There's a video, actually, it's kind of been making its way through the internet lately that Acts 29 um, actually put together that we're going to share, and then we're going to worship God. But I just want to pray for all of you right now. Will you stand with me? Father, I thank you so much for the gift of family. I thank you so much, Lord, for how you speak to us through it. But I thank you, Lord, for the reminder even from your word this morning that you, Lord, are what's important. That everything on earth exists to point us to you, including our relationships and our most valuable ones. So I pray, God, even right now, as we just take time to pause and pray and consider these things, I pray, God, that people in this room would even call to you that people would come for prayer and, and receive you, Lord, as Savior and Lord. That others would return to you, Lord, and, and, and choose to follow you, to, to put down the distractions of this world. I pray, Lord, for the women in this church. 
Lord, the women in this church outnumber the men on a volunteer basis by a mile. Heritage wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for them. So we're so thankful. And I pray, God, that if anything else this morning, may they understand just a little bit more of how important they are to you. May they feel your love and your approval, that you love them, that you delight in them, and that you care for them. Lord, in this time, may worship ascend. May you minister to the hearts of those who are hurting. And may you draw your family closer and closer together. In Jesus' holy name. Mother's Day. It's supposed to be a day to thank our moms and to celebrate motherhood. The world rushes around us in flower shops and scours greeting card displays, with some women approaching this day with a great sense of hope and pride. But there are others, others who shrink back, uncertain of how to engage such a triggering moment filled with hurt, sadness, or even tragedy. I have a question for you, and be honest. How do you really feel this Mother's Day? Today, as some of you celebrate great times, Others of you have more questions than answers. We want you to know that none of you are alone. This is for you. To those who gave birth this year, we celebrate you. And to those who have ever lost a child, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who have experienced miscarriage, failed adoption, or children running away, we mourn with you. To those who lost their mothers, we grieve with you. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Sorry, sorry. To those who walk the hard path of infertility with pokes, prods, fears, and tears, and disappointments, we mourn with you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with their moms, we celebrate you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who have lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall test of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who step-parent, we walk with you. To those who have aborted children, we remember them and you on this day. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering children, we wait on and trust God with you. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not meant to be, we grieve with you. To those who have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we both grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, we anticipate with you. But above all, but above all, but above all on this Mother's Day, as mothers and non-mothers alike, remember this. We are all daughters. A daughter birthed by our earthly parents, for sure. But in Christ, but in Christ, but in Christ, a beloved daughter of our Heavenly Father. So whatever you are facing on this day, remember this. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are valued. You are righteous. Not because of anything you have done or can do, but only because of what Jesus has already done. 
No amount of praise or gifts on this Mother's Day can compare to one drop of the precious blood Jesus gave for you. His work made you His, and He has given you an eternal identity. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter. You are His beloved daughter, in whom He is well pleased. Happy Mother's Day. 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 Happy Daughter's Day. Great job. And I was an orphan lost at the fall, running away when I hear you call. Father, you were at your will. And I had no righteousness of my own, I had no right to draw near your throne. Father, you love me still. And in love before you laid the world's foundations You predestined to adopt me as your own You have raised me up so high above my station I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone at the fall, running away when I'd hear you call. Father, you were your will. See, I had no righteousness. I had no righteousness of my own. I had no right to draw near throne. Father, you love me still. And in love, and in love before you made the world's foundation. down to the bone nothing I did could ever atone Jesus you paid my debt by your blood by your blood redemption and salvation Lord you died and I'm my grief which you have sown Yeah. 
just so thankful for this reminder, Lord, that you have adopted us into your family, Lord, that you have saved us, that no matter what situation we're in in life, be it a good day or a bad day, that, Lord, you reign and rule, and one day it'll be nothing but good. So, Lord, may we look towards you even this day. We are so thankful for the mothers, Lord, and for the, the role of mother. And Lord, through it, even through the care and love that a good mom exhibits, what we see is the care and love that you have given to us. So we worship you and honor them this morning. And we thank you for another beautiful day in Oregon to breathe in. In Jesus' name and God's church said, amen. Moms, we love you. Everybody say it. One, two, three. We love you. One, two, three. We love you. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day. And God bless you.